If you will, turn in your Bible this morning to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, let me explain to you one thing real quick. I appreciate the, the quote from Howie. Um, boy, I can, I can share in that. Let me give you a real quick background of who this is that's up here talking to you today. I need to get something straight real quick. I'm nobody. It's Christ through me. Okay? So don't look at me and say, oh, that's the next Billy Graham. (laughs) Lord, help us all if I am. Um, But you need to understand that it's Christ that's working through each one of us that makes us who we are. In and of ourselves, we're nothing. This morning, I want to share with you a story of a little boy that I, I knew one time in my life, and he started with a rough life. He started out being born with epilepsy, and he had grand mal seizures from birth. The doctors had told his family, hey, it's very likely that your son is not going to make it very much longer. Enjoy the time you have with him. Well, his mother refused the doctor's uh, diagnosis. She wound up taking the young boy with her as she taught preschool. This young boy was told that he would never make a grade above a D in school, and if he did make Ds, count that as As, because the brain damage that had been done from all the things that he had encountered from epilepsy, he would never be like the other children. And the mom took him. When he started kindergarten, the teacher the first day of kindergarten looked at the young boy and said, hey, I want you to write your letters A to Z as best you can. And he wrote all of his letters, first day of school. She said, now write your numbers from 1 to 100, and I don't expect you to get through them all, but do the best you can. And he did, all 100, didn't miss a single one. Second day of the school, the teacher came back and she got the whole class Right from A to Z as best you can, this young boy stopped at G. She thought, what on earth? You did it yesterday. She said, write your numbers 1 to 100. He stopped at 39. What's going on? Oh, this must be the brain damage from the epilepsy. She excused it and just kept pushing forward. And every day, finally, she looked at the young boy one day and she said, hey, I'll give you a lollipop if you write all your letters. So he did. I'll give you a lollipop if you write all your numbers. So he did. That young boy was then told by the time he was 16, he would no longer be alive. Epilepsy would take his life and it would be over. When he made it to the age of 16, the doctors called him in and this young boy in Texas was told, hey, Here in Texas, your parents no longer have a right to know your medical background. So this is a conversation between us. By the time you're 21, epilepsy will take your life. Well, doctor, sir, epilepsy, the, the last seizure was five years old. Yes, but it always comes back. And when it comes back, it comes back worse than it did before. Okay, and it'll probably take your life. He said, this is what you need to know. Live the life you have to the best of your ability. Don't ever take for granted what God has given you to live. 
Well, the young boy went on and 21 came and went. And now I want you to know that young boy stands before you today to speak to you because only God knows what's going to happen in our life. You understand that God has everything for a purpose and a plan that none of us can explain because, as my dear friend pointed out already, his thoughts are not our thoughts. His ways are not our ways. The doctors can give you what they know, but that only accounts for what the books have told them, not for what God has put together and ordained to happen. This morning, I want to talk to you from a passage that's near and dear to my heart from John chapter 4. And as you look at John chapter 4, I want you to have this thought and this idea in your head of when you see what Jesus sees and you hear what Jesus hears, you'll only then feel what Jesus feels. Do you understand what that means? Let me give you another story real quick, and then we'll get into the Word. Let me give you an illustration of something that I'm sure we have all seen. If you've ever been to the mall, I love to people watch. I don't like to shop. I like to people watch. So what I like to do is I like to go find the cold stone or the marble slab or the ice cream shop, get an ice cream cone, and sit on a bench in the mall and just watch the people go by how they talk to one another, how they react with one another, how they show off the things that they've bought. I just, I enjoy it. But one of the things I notice when we're all at the mall, and this is true of all of us, don't lie, we're in church. When we go to the mall and we see that, um, I'll loosely say that person, you know that, has the six-inch platform boots, leather, like up to their knees. And their hair is spiked up pink. They have, uh, you know, 50, 60 earrings in their ears. And the last one is this big old hoop that you're going, oh my, that looks painful. They, they, they have the trench coat that you're sitting there going, what are you trying to hide? You know, that person that looks different from the rest of us. They didn't get the memo we got. And we walk down the, the corridor of the mall, and I promise you, if come on now, when that person starts to get close, you go into the near store, you really have no business being in there, but you go in there anyway, just to avoid the possible conflict of having to acknowledge this person is passing by you. Been there? Let me change your thought for a minute today. What would happen if we looked at that person as a person that God put together? And if we looked at that person as somebody that maybe maybe they didn't get the same email we got of how to dress. Maybe they didn't get the same notification of perceptions that people are going to have of them. Well, let me show you a story in the Bible that I think, as we look at, we'll start to understand. 
Look at verse 1. It says, When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. He had to travel through Samaria. Did you see that? That's a very, don't overlook the word there. And I know you're already sitting there going, what? I, I didn't see it. What is it? He had to go through Samaria. Did you see that? What does that mean? That means there was no other option. There was something he had to accomplish, something he had to do. Now, we're talking about the same Jesus that was present during the creation of all the world. What did he have to do? He had to go through Samaria. Why? Do you understand the background here? Jesus being Jewish, going through Samaria? Huh. That's the armpit of the world. Nobody has to go through Samaria for anything. Jesus did. So what was that purpose? Continue looking. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well. It was about six in the evening. Now, I think as we look, you would see it's important to understand Jesus is no ordinary person. You understand there's no description fitting of who he is. And by the way, if you've seen the neat little paintings of him with the really pretty eyes and the long flowing hair that, you know, looks like a shampoo commercial and everything, I don't think that does him justice. There's no description that fits him. He's God in the flesh dwelling among us. That's the best description we can give. Well, he's not ordinary in any way, shape, or form, and he has a very uncanny love for the people that he comes into contact with, even the unlovable. Don't misunderstand. At one time, we all fit that category. We did. It's not comfortable to say, but we did. Even more amazing is the fact that he intentionally made time for the people he came into contact with. Boy, when's the last time you were intentional about a meeting? And I'm not talking about a job. I'm not talking about a business meeting. I'm, I'm talking about, hey, let, let me tell you, I, I like to warn people when I'm about to step on toes, so you might want to curl them up just a minute. When's the last time you were intentional about meeting with your family? Can I tell you as an educator of almost 30 years now, the one thing I've noticed from the beginning to now is the unintentional meeting of family together. And it's costing us dearly. Let me tell you, we've got to be intentional about our time that we spend with people. Well, as the story unfolds in John chapter 4, there's a classic example of the links Jesus goes to. Continue reading. It says, a woman of Samaria came to draw water. 
Give me a drink, Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman, she asked. For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. You understand, again, going back to what we already heard once this morning, but if you look, Jerry Bridges says, God is completely sovereign. God is infinite in wisdom. God is perfect in love. God in his love always wills what is best for us. In his wisdom, he knows what is best. And in his sovereignty, he has the power to bring it about. Now watch this. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him and he would give you living water. You understand, he didn't have to go to Samaria because he was tired and thirsty and he was worn out from his journey. That's not the reason for his being there. His reason for being there was very intentional. He knew at an appointed day and an appointed time, there was going to be a woman that was going to come to draw water from this particular well that he would be sitting at waiting for her to arrive. And when she gets there, he asks her, hey, can you give me something to drink? Now watch what happens. You understand He's a stranger in town. Asking this woman for a drink of water. Well, as we go through, there's some questions we need to ask to make sure we understand this story. First, why did Jesus send the disciples away? And again, don't misunderstand the beginning of the story and think that it was because he was hungry. That's not the answer. What did Jesus see when he looked at the woman at the well? Did he see that mall walker that nobody wanted to talk to? What did Jesus hear as she was speaking? And what did Jesus feel for this woman? All very important questions that we need to ask. Well, let's continue reading for just a second. It says, Sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. And the well is deep, so where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never get thirsty again, ever in fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up within him for eternal life. Question. So why did Jesus send the disciples away? Because now we're well into the conversation, right? We're well into what Jesus is talking to this woman about. So why did he send them away? He knew the woman needed his undivided attention. Guess what? He knows you need it as well. Do you realize when you set aside intentional quiet time, prayer time, Bible reading time, time for devotion with the family, do you realize that God has already set His side of time for you? Whoa. 
Have you ever thought about that? He knows you need his undivided attention as well as that woman did. He knew how the disciples would react to the situation. We'll see that in just a minute. So remember that part. He knew how the woman felt about herself. How many of you avoid time with Jesus because you're ashamed to go before his throne? Can I tell you? When, the, when you feel the most ashamed of who you are and how you are, that is the most appointed time you need to be at the throne of Jesus. You need to be there. He knows how you're feeling in that moment. What did Jesus see? He saw a woman all alone. Which is going to be weird when you hear something in just a minute from the story. She was all alone. He saw a woman that was desperate for love. Now I know we're in church and we're but but bear with me just a second. Any of you ever heard of that song Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? I think that was this woman's theme song. He saw a woman that was hurting. And can I tell you? She was hurting because of the relationships she had been in. She had been in so many wrong relationships that were not feeding her spiritually, emotionally. They weren't helping her in any way in her life. She was desperate. Let's keep reading. Sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. I don't have a husband, she answered. You have said correctly. I don't have a husband, Jesus said, for you have had five husbands. And the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. What did Jesus hear? What did he hear from this woman? Well, she was lost. And I'm not talking just spiritually. You ever, uh, th this is my favorite teenage conversation over the years. Hey, uh, tell me a little bit about yourself. Who are you? Well, I don't know. I'm still trying to find myself. <laughs> Have you had that one? If not, believe me, it's coming, and it's a fun one. I'm still trying to figure out who I am. I'm trying to figure out, and in today's society, we all try to figure out how we identify. I'll tell you how I identify. I identify as a child of the king. I am made in his image. I am made just the way he wants me to be as a man. That's how I identify. Well, he heard a woman that was lost. He heard the cry for something more. Have you ever dealt with a kid that doesn't necessarily even know what to ask or how to ask it, but you know they're looking, they're trying to get something more out of you or the situation? That's what Jesus heard. And he heard her confess. Y'all, I love 
Ooh, that my, my Texas just came out, didn't it? Um, I, I love when we deal with somebody learning about Christ for the first time and they get to the point that they say, hey, I want to be a Christian. I love doing something very strange. I don't do the whole repeat after me prayer. I just look at him and go, look, if God's really working in your life, he's already laid something on your heart. Why don't you just say that to him? And y'all, I get to hear some of the coolest prayers. Some of them are just simply, God, I don't know what else to say, but I messed up. Can you forgive that? Amen. Can I tell you, I truly believe in that moment because it came from the heart to the throne of God. That's it. He heard this woman confess. It wasn't the confession that we all, the spiritual folk in the room, would have told her she needed to say. But it's what she had on her heart. Jesus, look. I've had five failed marriages. And, uh, boy, I don't know how to tell you this, but the guy I'm with now, we're not married. And I love Jesus' response. I know. That's why I'm here. Y'all, it's not a shock when we go to him. You understand that, right? Well, it says, sir, the woman replied, I see you're a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus told her, believe me, woman. An hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. I am he, Jesus told her, the one speaking to you. Did you hear the phrase? I am he. That same I am he would be spoken just uh, not too much longer after this story when he would be arrested in the garden. And this time when he said it, it was so powerful of a statement, those five letters, three words, that the whole legion of guards that came to arrest him had to step back, fall to their knees, because the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And when he said to them, I am he, they hit their knees. This woman, she heard him say, when she said, I know the Messiah is coming eventually. He said, hey, guess what? I'm here. It's me. Can you imagine standing face to face? with your creator and him saying look I'm here I'm in front of you it's me 
Well, what did Jesus feel? He felt a heart of compassion for her. He had a heart of forgiveness for her. And he had a heart of love. Isn't that what she was looking for anyway? Somebody to come to her and love her the way she was. Not because of anything she had done. Not because of anything that she needed just to love her. Well, look. Just then, his disciples arrived. And they were amazed that he was talking with a woman. Yet no one said, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then the woman left her water jar, went into town and told the men, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They left the town and made their way to him. In the meantime, the disciples kept urging him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. The disciples said to one another, could someone have brought him something to eat? Did somebody go to Jerusalem and go through the drive-thru? What happened? How was he not hungry when we left him to go to 7-Eleven? And it may not have been 7-Eleven back then, but when we left him, he was hungry. He was tired. He was thirsty. And now he's telling us he's fine? What is this? You understand. There's food that we need to eat for physical purposes. But there's also food that we need to eat for our spiritual soul. And I'm going to tell you, some of us are flat out starving because we haven't ate in a long time. I, I love and I appreciate how we have our, our perfect attendance awards on the wall because we did not miss a single Sunday all year long. We came to church every time the doors were open. Pastor Jared signed my certificate, and there it is. Some of you are laughing because you know Jared wouldn't take time to do that. Um, <laughs> but there it is. It's on my wall. While my Bible sits over on the shelf. And if I had an attendance award for that, I probably would have had to have seen the truancy officer several times this year because I haven't read it. Right? You understand, this woman is seeing something unfold before her eyes as Jesus tells the disciples, really, I'm fine right now. I've got my second wind. I'm okay. Let me keep talking to her. And he says, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, Don't you say there are still four more months? Then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes. Look at the fields, for they are ready for harvest. 
the reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life, so the sower and reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored, and you have benefited from their labor. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified. Tell your story. What has he done for you? And hey, listen, you may have one of the most boring stories out there. It may be very similar to mine. I was saved at the age of five years old at Hamilton Trenton Road Baptist Church. On a Sunday night after church, I snuck into the pastor's office and sat and waited for him to arrive. And when he got there, he was shocked because a five-year-old was sitting in his office waiting for him. When I told him I was in there because I needed to know Jesus, he went and got my parents. I got saved right there in his office. End of story. You mean you don't have one about drugs and being in jail 14 times in your life? Nope. I don't. Mine's pretty simple. And you know what? I think it's just as powerful as God needs it to be. Tell your story, whatever it is. Somebody needs to hear it. Because it'll resonate with them in their life. But these people believed when she testified. And she said, he told me everything I ever did. Therefore, when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this really is the Savior of the world. Y'all look. When we learn to put aside our personal agendas. I mean, come on now. How many of you? And boy, I, I, again, curl up your toes for a second. I love church business meetings. They're one of my favorite things to go to. Not really, Lord. Um, but if you've ever been to one, they're so fun. Y'all, for real, I pastored a church in, in the big, thriving metropolis of Dacus, Texas. I know none of you have ever heard of it. When I got to the church, they had just been through a church split. There were 15 people at the church my first Sunday there, and my family was six of the 15. <laughs> they had gone from 120 down to the 15 that were there. Well, the first Sunday, I told them, I said, uh, hey, by the way, I think we're supposed to have a business meeting tonight. We are? I don't know. That's just what the secretary told me, so I guess that's what we're doing. Yeah, we got a business meeting tonight. Y'all, we got there, and I'm not joking. You've probably heard these stories, and this is God's honest truth. That business meeting, we had a 30-minute argument about what kind of toilet paper we were going to buy. True story. After the 30 minutes was over, I looked at him. I said, all right, this business meeting is over. If it took us 30 minutes for agenda item number one, I don't have time for the rest. I said, we're going to stop there because we got to learn a valuable lesson. Everybody came in with their own agenda tonight. And we got to put the agendas away. 
because the only agenda that matters is the agenda that God has for this church and these people. That's it. We have to learn to put aside our personal agendas and feelings and then we will be able to see what Jesus sees so that we can hear what he hears, so that we can feel what he feels. One last story and I'm done. There was a young man at a school that I was at in, at Texas Christian Academy in Arlington, Texas. I had no idea when the kids started school that he was a Muslim, came from a Muslim family. He came to our school and we got to talking. He was on the football team and somehow I didn't understand at the time he was always the last one picked up and I always had to stay till about seven o'clock or later at night for him to be picked up. But he and I had at least 30 minutes, just him and I, every day to talk. Well, one day I finally found out that him and his family were Muslim and I looked at him and I said, hey, tell me a little bit about the Muslim faith. I, I don't know much about it. So he started telling me, and I listened for a little bit, and he said, uh, he said, Coach, why are you asking me? I said, I just, I'm curious. We got time, and I may as well get to know you a little bit better, and you may as well get to know me a little bit better. Well, then one day I looked at him. I said, hey, don't you all have, like, pillars of your faith or something? He said, yeah. I said, well, what are they? I don't know. I said, how long have you been part of the Muslim culture? Well, I was raised in it, coach. Oh, okay. And you still don't know the foundations of your... No, I don't. Oh, well, can I tell you mine? Y'all one day sitting there with a Muslim boy that most of the time people would have said, <laughs> he looked at me and he's got tears coming down his face. He said, coach, before mom and dad get here, could you tell me how I could be a Christian? Y'all, we cannot any longer. Our society needs us. And it's not because of us, it's because of who's in us that they need. They need us to quit being the silent majority. We need to be more vocal. And I'm not talking about political agendas. Put those away. We need to be more vocal about the God that we serve and letting them know who He is because we need to start seeing our world that we live in the way He sees it. And I'm going to tell you, He sees it as messed up and a place that needs Him. When we start seeing it that way and we start sharing our story and start sharing the story He's given us, we'll see our world change. Can you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the day. I thank you for this story in John chapter 4. God, this, this woman at the well and how very humbly she came to a place where she met your son and her life was changed forever. God, I pray that you would help us now that we've heard this story to go share it, not to keep it for ourselves, not to just say, oh, wow, that was, a, that was a good story, but God, to share it, to start seeing people the way you see them, to start 
hearing people the way you hear them so that we can feel with a heart of compassion and love like you did for that woman. We can feel that same thing for the people we deal with every day because God, if we look at it, you've ordained that meeting. You've ordained that time. So God, help us to see what you see, to hear what you hear, so we can feel what you feel. In your name I pray. Amen.